Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, good to be with you this morning. If you are new or visiting, my name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here. Grateful to get to be with you guys this morning. Uh, looking forward to opening God's Word together with you this morning. Uh, last week, we began a new series, uh, Walking Through the Book of Ruth. And uh, like I mentioned last week, Ruth is a short book in the Old Testament, just four chapters. Uh, but it contains one of, what is one of the most compelling stories in all of Scripture. There is tragedy and loss and despair and there's triumph and hope and sacrifice, even a little bit of romance, right? It is like the Netflix easy button. Everybody wants to watch that. It is, there's something in it for everyone. But what makes that story, the story of Ruth even better is that the book of Ruth isn't just a story about something that happened 3,000 years ago. Instead, the story of Ruth is really a glimpse into a story that you and I are a part of today. It's a, the, the story of Ruth is a glimpse, it's a microcosm of God's greater story of redemption that he is bringing about in the lives of his people. It's a part of his greater story of the redeeming work in the lives of his people, bringing his people out of a place of emptiness and pain and sorrow and into a place of fullness and hope and joy. Last week in, in chapter one, we saw that this, this story of redemption, it, it, it started in the context of a situation that had gone from bad to worse to just straight up full-on catastrophic, right? Uh, the story takes place in the times of the judges, which is one of the periods in Israel's history that's characterized by sin and rebellion and running from God. And things have gotten so bad that in the promised land, in Bethlehem, in the land of bread, there's actually a famine. And so in the midst of all that, we meet this guy named Elimelech, and he decides that he has this, the great idea. He's going to move his family to Moab, which was, as we talked about last week, was, was an evil, pagan, sexually perverse place. And so he's going to move his family out of the promised land and into Moab, and, and shocker, uh, it doesn't go well for them. It doesn't go well at all. By the end of verse 5 in chapter 1, he's dead. Uh, and his sons have married pagan wives. And then they went on to die. And, and so, he, so at the end of verse 5, Naomi, his wife, is left there by herself with these two widowed uh, pagan daughters-in-law. She's lost everything. She's lost her home. She's lost her family. She's lost her future. And so it's a picture of absolute devastation and, and of desperation. And so the question that we talked about last week is, where is God in all of that? It begs this question, where is God in the midst of all this chaos, all this suffering, all this pain? And like we saw last week, and like we're going to see again this week, God wasn't absent. He wasn't uninvolved. He, didn't, he, wasn't, he wasn't just uninterested. He wasn't unengaged. Instead, what we see happening in the story of Ruth is that God, behind the scenes, he is sovereignly working. He is providing. Verse 6, we saw last week, Naomi had heard that God had visited his people and provided food for them. You see, in the midst of, God's, in the midst of people's sin and rebellion and running from him, God is actually at work pursuing his people. He's actually at work running after them. He's, he's creating life and hope where there is none. And so Naomi decides that she's going to head back to Bethlehem and she urges her daughters-in-law to stay in Moab and to start new lives there. And one of them does, but Ruth, the, 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 the author, or not the author of the story, but the, kind of the, the main character in the story, she refuses. And in verse 16 and 17, we saw this incredible declaration of faith and commitment that she makes, not only to Naomi, her mother-in-law, but more importantly to God. She says, where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people, they'll be my people, and, and your God will be my God. You see, in spite of the invariably hard road ahead of her, Ruth is all in. 
She is, she's all in on, on God and his people being the one way forward for her. And her faith-filled decision to leave her home and her family and her religion and her gods, it's, it's like this line in the sand. It, we'll see it is a decision that changes everything. And so these two women, Naomi and Ruth, they head back to Bethlehem together. And while Ruth's decision is full of faith, Naomi's is just one of desperation and bitterness. She comes back to Bethlehem. She's saying, I have nothing. I am empty. I've got nothing left. God's against me. But the reality is, is that God is actually at work. He is, he is actually sovereignly and lovingly working behind the scenes for her good. And he is setting the stage for his story of redemption in her life. He is setting the stage for a demonstration of his faithfulness and his goodness, his grace, his favor in her life in the midst of her bitterness. And so as we saw last week, chapter one, it ends on this hope-filled cliffhanger. These two women have come back to Bethlehem. They've come back to God's place and come back to God's people just as a harvest is about to begin. They came with no family. They came with no futures, no food. As we'll see in chapter two, what God has in store for them in these hope-filled harvest fields is about to change all of that. You see, they're about to meet someone here in chapter 2 this morning who will be for them the personification of God's redeeming favor in their lives. As we'll see, that is the very thing that they need the most. And so with that in mind, let's pray, and we'll dive into our time in Ruth chapter 2 this morning. God, we uh, come with thankful hearts to your word this morning, and we just humbly ask that you would be gracious to speak to us through it. God, uh, I need you to fill me by your spirit so that I might be able to teach and preach with with what is right, but also what is true and good and with power. And so, God, I need you and we need you, God. And so we come humbly dependent on your word, asking that you would speak to us through it, God, for our good and for your glory, we ask. Amen. Well, this morning we are in Ruth chapter 2. Begins this way. It says, Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. And so she went out and entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. He says, the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. And they answered, Boaz, uh, and they answered, Boaz asked the overseers of the harvest, who does this young woman belong to? And the overseers replied, she's the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. And she came into the field and has remained here from morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. And so Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me and watch, um, watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars that the men have filled. At this, she bowed down her face to the ground and she asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you would notice me? a foreigner. Boaz replied, I've been told about 
what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and your mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said, for you have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. And when she had sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain and she ate all that she wanted and had some left over. And she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her glean even among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some of the stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. And so Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. And then she threshed the barley that she had gathered and amounted to about an ephah. And she carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over that she had, uh, that she had eaten enough. And her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? What, where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one whose place she had been working. The name of the man I work today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, for he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. <clears throat> then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish the harvest, for harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with these women who work for him. Because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. And so Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. So in chapter 2 here in the story of Ruth, it opens. And, and Ruth and the Naomi, they're, they're hungry. They're hungry. They've come back to Bethlehem and they have no, no one to provide for them. So they're hungry. And so in Ruth, Ruth chapter, in verse 2... <coughs> Ruth, she volunteers to go to the harvest fields and, and to pick up the leftover grain. It was a practice in the day known as gleaning. And, and so during harvest, landowners were to leave kind of the edges of their field unharvested. And if they dropped stuff as they inevitably did along the way, they were, they were supposed to pick it up. They were supposed to leave it for, for those who were widows or poor to come along after and pick up. See, gleaning, it was a it was a means that God had provided for caring for the widows and the poor. And God had set this up in the law. But if you'll remember, the story takes place in the time of the judges. It's a time where God's law was not really on many people's priority lists, uh, if it made any of their lists at all. And so it, was, so it was it was so important that this happened, but it was so unlikely as well, which is why Ruth says to, he sa she says, let me go glean, she says, behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. You see, those words, they're at the, the very heart of what's going on in this chapter. They're at the very heart of the, of the, of the issue happening in the story here in chapter 2. See, Ruth and Naomi, they are in need of food. But to get food, they're really first in need of finding someone who will show them favor. And we hear that word favor, and, and we tend to think that 
That means something like good fortune or, or uh, things just going right for you. Maybe it's good luck or maybe it's somebody helping you out. When <clears throat> In a religious context, we tend to think of favor through the lens of, of extra support or blessing from God. But when the Bible uses that word favor, what, it, what it's doing is talking about the idea of grace. It's talking about the idea of, of someone showing grace and kindness and compassion in an unmerited, undeserved kind of way. You see, Ruth and Naomi, they need someone to show them grace. They need someone to show them kindness. They need someone to show them compassion. Especially Ruth. She's a foreigner. She's worse. She's, she's a Moabite. She was hated by the Jewish people. And you might expect Ruth's words here to be full of anxiety. You might expect them to be full of, full of doubt. But they're not. Instead, instead, what we see her and her words and her actions, they're just this profound expression of dependence and of faith. You see, she is humbly acknowledging that she is utterly dependent on someone showing her favor, someone showing her grace and kindness and compassion, letting her glean in their fields. But she's not just hopeful that that will happen. She doesn't just wait around for somebody to go invite her into their fields. No, she steps out in faith, trusting that God will be faithful to lead her to someone who would do just that. You see, and in verse 3, we see that he does. Verse 3 goes on, says that she went out to glean, and as it turned out, <coughs> excuse me, as it turned out, she says, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz. Literally, the passage says, uh, as chance chanced. Uh, literally, it's like we're saying, as luck would have it, right? She just happens to find herself in the field of Boaz. It's a, it's a phrase that's dripping with irony. See, what the author is really saying is, see, remember that guy I just randomly kind of told you about in verse one, that one dude that seemed really great, that man of standing that, that, was a, that happened to be from a Limlex clan? You know, remember that guy? Yeah, Ruth just so happened to wind up in his field. Not? No, that's not what happened. He's saying... He's saying that this was a divine appointment that God had sovereignly led here. One, one commentator writes it this way. He says, it was nothing less than a divine appointment that, Ruth brought, that brought Ruth to the fields of Boaz. There was no angelic visions to direct her to the right field, no voices from heaven to guide her. Nevertheless, as she trusted the Lord, he sovereignly directed her steps to exactly the right location. Of all the fields in Israel, Ruth finds herself by God's sovereign and good hand in the fields of a man named Boaz, who, as the passage highlights, is exactly the kind of person she needed to find. You see, very often in the Bible, when someone's first words, they, they tell you a lot about that person. They're very revealing. We saw in Ruth chapter 1, her words towards Naomi, her first words in the book, they were very revealing about her, her spirit of faith and dependence on God. And we see as well here that is true. Boaz's words here in verse 4, they certainly tell us a lot about him. He greets his servants. We first time meet him, he says, the Lord be with you. And they respond, the Lord bless you as well. It's an interchange. The author of Ruth is meant to highlight that Boaz is a godly man. And you and I think about that, we think, well, okay, that's good. It's the Bible, right? Seems like that would kind of be the fit. The point is, is that in the midst of the days of the judges, when no one was following God, when no one was pursuing him, when everyone was running the opposite way, doing whatever they saw best, Boaz is a man who is different from the rest. He's a godly man who puts God's priorities at, in first 
You see, in this characterization of Boaz, it coincides with verses, the verse 1 description that we see of him as a man of standing. That, that language, it refers both to his, his financial status as one who is wealthy, one who owns fields, one who has property, one, one who is respected, but it also refers to his character. You see, he's a man of standing. Both of these things we see fleshed out in his interaction with Ruth throughout the rest of the chapter. And, and so Boaz, he comes to check on his fields in the midst of harvest. Like a good, engaged landowner, he comes, he's involved, he, he comes to check things out. And, and he immediately notices Ruth and he asks the foreman, he says, who does that young woman belong to? And you and I, we hear that and we think, all right, creepy caveman guy. You sounded good in the first couple of verses, but it went downhill really quickly, Right? And uh, that's because we, we misunderstand what, what his question is. He, he's, he's not looking at her as this object to be owned. That's not what's happening here. Instead, Boaz is asking about her family connections. He's saying, whose family is she a part of? Who's, whose family is she in? Who, who, is, who is protecting her? Who is she, whose family is she a part of? You see, in the answer to that question, it highlights the other main need that Ruth and Naomi have. They need food, yes, but, but even more than that, they need family. They need someone who will come and protect them and provide for them. The foreman responds, he, he says, Ruth, she's that Moabite who came, who came back from Moab with Naomi. In other words, the foreman responds, he says, she's not from here, buddy. She's not from here at all. In fact, she's Naomi's Moabite daughter-in-law. She has no husband. She has no children. She has, she has no family. You see, in the, the way Boaz responds to that revelation about Ruth it would have been utterly shocking. You see, because there is clearly something about her that, that he admires. There's clearly something about her that he finds compelling and attractive, but there's nothing that here that, that he should find that about here. You see, Ruth, she had three strikes against her already. She's, first, she's a Moabite, which the Jews would have regarded as a cursed, perverse people. And second, she's a widow, which meant she would have been kind of considered as used goods, right? And third, she was poor which many would have seen as a sign of God's judgment on her. And top it all off, I mean, there's no way she looks great when, Booth, when, when Boaz sees her. I mean, she has literally been digging around in the weeds, kind of grunging for food. She's probably all sweaty, does not smell great, right? Her one dress is probably all full of dirt. It's probably got a random hole in it, right? She has not been like primping and preening. Like she, there's... This is not a picture of attraction here that we see in this passage. And the point is, is that Ruth is not the kind of woman that a man of standing should be noticing. You see, but Boaz is different. You see, towards a woman others would have looked on with eyes of disdain. We see that Boaz looks on Ruth with eyes that are full of favor. You see, he tells her, don't, don't go to another field. He says, stay here. I've, I've told my men not to lay a hand on you, not to touch you. More than that, he says, he says not only that, he tells the men to gather uh, right, to let, allow her to gather right with them, even to pick up some stalks of barley and just kind of drop them off for her. You know, just, just lay a little extra on the ground. Make it easy for her. Furthermore, he says, whenever she's thirsty, that she should go and get a drink from the water jars that the men have filled. You see, in those days, Ruth as a foreigner and as a woman, she would have been expected to be the one getting water for everyone else, the one filling water for everyone else. And yet Boaz says, no, he says, no, you don't need to serve us. We will serve you. If that wasn't stunning enough, later at mealtime, he invites her to eat with him at his table. This isn't just a shared meal here. The language that's used, it, 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 
it refers to an act of service. You see, this isn't just Ruth being invited to, to a meal at the master's table. This is the master of the harvest himself who has invited this foreigner widow to sit at his table and then he himself has graciously served her. She has her fill to eat, all that she wants. And there's tons left over, it says. At the end of the day, she gathers up everything she's gleaned that day. And it says that it was about an ephah, which is somewhere between 30 and 50 pounds. Just to give you a little bit of context, the, the average ration for a male worker in that day would have been maybe one to two pounds of grain at the end of the day. Ruth here, she walks away with the equivalent of, of half a month's wages. In one day. You see, what the author of Ruth is doing for us here is he's highlighting the reality that the very thing that Ruth began the chapter acknowledging her need for, that her need for favor, her need for someone to show her grace and kindness and compassion when she didn't deserve it from anyone, the very thing that she has needed, Boaz has given her in overwhelming abundance overwhelming abundance. It is a picture of her cup that is full and overflowing. You see, he's not just looked on her with pity. He's not just looked on her with sympathy. He has looked on her with eyes that are full of favor, full of grace, full of kindness, full of compassion. And in verse 10, uh, Ruth, she asked Boaz the question that everyone is wondering. Everyone's sitting around, they're wondering, what is happening here? This is craziness. She asks the question that everyone's wondering. She says, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you would notice me, a foreigner? She's not entitled. She's not presumptuous. She doesn't think, you know what? I've been working real hard. I got here early. I'm serving my mother-in-law. I've been sacrificing. Of course somebody notices me. No, no passage highlights that she is just as stunned as anyone else. She says, I'm the person that no one notices except to look down on. And yet you have not only noticed me, you have lavishly shown me favor. She says, why? Why? Why is that the case? And it is so important for us that we understand Boaz's response rightly here. It is critical that we, we understand his response rightly here because this, this relationship that we see between Boaz and Ruth and that we'll see fleshed out throughout the rest of this story, it's not just this inspiring, heartwarming romance that kind of makes you feel good on the inside. No, instead it's a picture for us of the way that God relates to us. You see, their horizontal human relationship, it is intended to be a picture for us of God's vertical relationship with us. In the character of Boaz, the author of Ruth is intentionally showing us a picture of the character of God and the way that he relates to us. He is, the author of Ruth is intentionally showing us a picture of the gospel. You see, in Boaz, he responds in verse 11 and 12, he says, I've been told about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you left your father and your mother and your homeland and you came to live with the people that you didn't know. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. And if you just stop there, if you stop there, what you'll think is that Boaz is showing her favor because he's heard about her good behavior. He's heard about her sacrifices that she has made, and he wants her to know that God repays good behavior. 
See, if you stop there, you just get legalism. You, you, just, get, you just get self-righteousness. You just get religiosity. That's all you have. It's not good news. It's not the gospel. See, if, if, the, if that's the message, then Ruth's example, it just condemns us, right? Because let's be honest, none of us make the choices that Ruth made. We don't make the choices to sacrificially lay everything down for the good of others. We don't make those choices. Her example, if, if it's just an example of her good behavior being this thing that gets rewarded, then all that does is it just condemns us because we do not live up to her example. You see, but Boaz's explanation, it doesn't stop there. He goes on in verse 12. He says, may you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel. Here's where it all comes down to. He says, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. See, Boaz tells Ruth that the, the reason why he has shown her such overwhelming favor is not because God's just rewarding some good behavior. No, instead, he says, her actions reveal that she has taken refuge under God's wings. She's given up everything. She has risked it all. She has gone all in on God and his people. He's on God being the only one who can rescue her, the only one who can save her, the only one who can make a way forward for her. She's put all of her trust in him and she has come to take refuge under his wings. And her actions, they're a revelation. They are an outworking of that reality that she has made. Boaz says, his response is, a, is an invitation where he says, the Lord welcomes, the Lord repays, the Lord shows favor to those who like little helpless birds humbly come to take refuge under his great wings of protection. See, Jesus echoes this very sentiment in Matthew 23, 37 when, when he weeps over the people of Jerusalem who have refused to do that very thing. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. He says, yet you were not willing. You see, instead of humbly coming to take refuge under his gracious wings, the people instead chose to rely on their own righteousness, their own performance, their, their own effort to get right with God. And it didn't work. You see, but Ruth, Ruth has come, the story shows us, she has admitted her utter dependence on God. She's gone all in on him and his people being the one way forward for her. John Piper sums up Boaz's response to her when he says this way, the reason why Ruth has found favor, the reason why anyone finds favor with God is not that she has performed and that God is impressed, but rather her acts of love have flown out from a childlike hiding in the grace of God. You see, friends, this is the message of the gospel that we see throughout God's word in the Old Testament and in the New. You see, God will show mercy on anyone who will humble themselves and like Ruth, who, take, who by faith takes refuge under his wings. God's not an employer 
looking for people to work hard for him so he can reward them with spiritual bonuses. He's, he's looking for people who will be willing to leave their father and their mother and their homeland and anything else that might keep them from taking refuge under his wings. You see, the question that Ruth asks of Boaz is one that we all need to ask God about ourselves. You see, and how we answer that question, it will make all the difference in the world for us. You see, the big idea of this passage is that, like Ruth, we all need to find favor with God. Without his favor, we have no hope. Without his favor, we have no future. We have no family. We have no hope. You see, we need him to show us grace and kindness and compassion when, like Ruth, there is not a reason why he should be doing it. See, we tend to think that favor with God comes through our performance. You see, but the reality is that we need to see that favor with God it comes only as by faith we humbly take refuge under his wings. You see, when that reality, when that clicks in your heart, you see what happens is that it enables you to live a life that is full of faith. It enables you to live a life that is full of faith unto him because you're not trying to earn something from God anymore. Instead, you are responding to the incredible grace that he has shown you. When you realize that like Ruth, you are a foreigner and you are a Moabite and you are the, the one who should not be received and should not be accepted and should not be shown favor and shown kindness and shown compassion and shown grace. But when you see that God by faith invites you to take shelter under his wings. <coughs> oh, you'd be full of joy in him. You'll see the magnitude of his grace made known to you. It'll fill you with a love for him and a longing to live for him that nothing else can do. You see, remembering that reality is so important for us. That's why we take communion. Because <clears throat> in taking communion, what we're doing is we're reminding ourselves that the great God of the universe, he came to die for us so that we could come to take refuge under his wings. And we would be able to be, take refuge from, from the penalty of sin that we deserve. You see, communion, it, it doesn't change your status or your standing with God. It doesn't make you right with him. It doesn't grant you favor with him. Instead, communion is a way of reminding ourselves about who he is and all that he has done for us so that in remembering his favor, his unmerited grace, his unmerited kindness, his unmerited compassion, that we would live lives full of joyful obedience unto him. You see, as we sing, as we worship, and as we remember the gospel together in song this morning, if you have put your trust in Jesus, if you have come to take refuge under his wings, then whenever you're ready, come and take communion. If you miss the elements on the way in, you can find them at the table in the back. You don't need to be a member here. You just need to have taken refuge under his wings. And so what that means is that you have rejected a reliance on your own effort You've rejected a reliance on your own strength, on your own performance to be the thing that makes you right with God. And instead, you have humbly come in faith and say, God, what I need is you. I need you to show me grace, and I put my hope entirely in that. See, but if that's not where you're at this morning, I'd encourage you, hold off on taking communion. 
I need you to hear this. You are welcome here. You are welcome in this community. You are welcome as a part of this church. In fact, this church was started so that people, wherever you are at, might come to find Jesus. But I would encourage you this morning, instead of taking communion, come to Jesus Reject a reliance on yourself and your own performance and your own, and your own righteousness and instead come to take refuge in his wings. Go all in with him. As we take communion, as we sing, I would encourage you this morning, talk with God. Confess to him the things that you are running to to find refuge. Ask him to show you the gracious refuge that he offers and ask him to empower you today and every day to humbly take refuge under his wings of grace. You see, the Lord is kind. He is gracious. He is compassionate. He shows favor to all who would humbly, by faith, take refuge in him. And so this morning, let us, like Ruth, fall on our faces before the Lord, confess our unworthiness, and take refuge under his wings so that we might in astonishment marvel at his favor made known to us in the gospel. Let's pray. King Jesus, we come before you this morning and we are humbled by a reminder that we see in your word that we are in desperate need of finding favor with you. Just as Ruth was in desperate need of finding favor when someone who would, who would allow her to, 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 to glean in their fields... God, we are so grateful for this picture that we have of, of a man who represents your character, God, and who is not pointing us to the reality that, that somehow our good behavior merits your favor, but instead who points us to the reality that your favor comes as we, by faith, take refuge under your wings, as we acknowledge our need for you and our dependence on you. And so, God, I pray this morning that you would help us to, to reject our self-sufficient mindsets, God, that you would humble us, that you would enable us to, to reject the, the idea that we are enough on our own. But more than that, God, we pray that you would enable us, God, to come in, in humility and in faith to take refuge under your great wings. You shelter us. And so, God, we ask that you would do that. You'd empower us by faith to come to you. God, for our good, more than anything for your great glory so that we might display your goodness, that we might marvel at your grace, your favor that is shown to us. God, thank you that you have done all of that for us. Help us to respond to you in faith. Amen.